This is episode four of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed physician or mental health practitioner. I'm your host, Anna Holden, an intuitive, energy alchemist, Ayurvedic health educator, and yoga teacher, as well as the founder of Sensitivity Uncensored and the Sacred Rebellion. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? Today, I'm interviewing Elizabeth Rainey, a yoga teacher, yoga therapist, and somatic experiencing practitioner in training. The main topic we'll cover today is this idea of resiliency, a topic that Rainey is intimately familiar with. She has an early life history of learning to push and try to control her life, which led to a journey of deep listening and finding her inner resources and her resiliency. She's been teaching yoga and offering yoga therapy for the past 20 years. 10 of those years she spent training other yoga teachers. She's a certified yoga teacher and yoga therapist. And the last eight years has been steeped in a movement called Continuum Movement. Rainey has over 15 years of meditation practice in Vipassana and Tantric Mantra traditions. Her most powerful teacher has been her own journey through trauma and renegotiating its effects in her body and life. She is passionate about guiding and supporting people in reclaiming their innate resilience through body-centered practices. She's currently in training to become a somatic experiencing practitioner in the tradition of Peter Levine. Hi, Rainey, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, excellent. I'm really excited for our conversation today, Rainey, um, because this concept of resilience or resiliency is something I've started to mention a lot in my newsletters and in my podcasts, um, this concept of being able to call on our inner resources. Yeah, so important. So important, right? Um, So we're going to get to that topic here in a second. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about you and how you came to be doing this work, this yoga, yoga therapy, somatic awareness. Hmm. Well, a long, long time ago, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, several lifetimes ago. Um, Well, like so many of your readers and listeners. Um, I grew up as a highly sensitive person in a family that didn't really understand what that was about Mm -hmm. and in a culture that didn't really understand what that was about. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I spent um, several years just trying to check out and numb my sensitivity. Mm. and not feel any of it because it felt like too much and I was told it was too much. Mm. And I didn't learn any skills to how to like work with it. 
So in my process of kind of healing from those years of checking out, I discovered yoga and meditation. I was 17 and I was like, I, yeah, I like this. This is an invitation to be present, to show up and have um, some, t- some me time, right? Mm-hmm. To notice um, what was happening in my body, to notice what was happening in my mind and to be gentle and generous. And that planted the seed and, you know, it came and went over the next, you know, five, seven years until it was really ready to be watered and nourished and grown. And mm-hmm. in my mid-20s, I really dove into a yoga practice, um, mostly asana. Um, but over the years, I just couldn't get enough. And so I studied, started studying more and more. And these, what I discovered were different practices that allowed me to m- manage is the wrong word, to hold, to Mm -hmm. tend, and to honor what was happening in my body, in my mind, in my heart. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, it was being, you know, westernized and got getting more and more kind of vigorous and intense. Mm -hmm. And in some ways that was good, in some ways that was challenging. then number of, you know, go forward years later, I mm-hmm. become a yoga teacher at the urging of my own yoga teachers, because mm-hmm. I didn't think that was something I would want to do. And I loved it. I fell into it. I became very, very um, successful and uh, mm-hmm. did, that's what I was doing for a living. And um, I had an emotional impact trauma and my life mm-hmm. kind of fell apart. And I started realizing that uh, the way that I was practicing and the way I was tending myself was kind of reminiscent of my childhood. And I was looking for something more generous. And so the continuum movement and the somatic awareness piece came in at that time to say, well, how does your body want to move? How, how do you want to express yourself rather than imposing a series of, or a sequence of asana or certain kinds of breathing. And so that started opening me up to the intelligence that's innate in our body. And then also at the same time, doing somatic experiencing work as a healing modality for my own self. All of that came together and I thought, this is where I wanna go. I this is what's helped me find, reclaim my life, reclaim my excitement, reclaim a lot of different wisdom that I didn't know I had. And I want to help other people do that. So the combination of yoga, which I haven't abandoned, but I've deepened and the continuum based movement of organic impulse movement and then somatic experiencing as a way to, mat, to, to nourish and reclaim what's lost when trauma happens. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. There's so much in that. But I'm, like, I'm like writing down notes because there's so much that I love about what you said and that I think um, our listeners can relate to. The very first thing that you said 
you, you talked about seeds, you know, seeds being planted, having this awareness, kind of this deep awareness that something was right for you, that something fed you, right, on a deep level. And I think this is a really common experience for highly sensitive people when we're starting starting to hear the voice of the soul and, and the, the voice of, I would call it like the deeper body, like what the body really needs and starting to kind of um, brush up against our conditioning, right? So it's when I start to see the soul starts to speak a little bit more, but that conditioning is so strong. So, you know, like you said, we, we get these seeds and we may not um, tend to them right away. And, and I think that's okay. You know, I think that, you know, coming out of this conditioning, we're all so conditioned, we're steeped in this stew that sensitivity is awful, or whatever. (laughs) And, you know, and we should push and push. And I have such a familiar history to that. So I just really want to validate that experience for you, Rainy, and also for anyone else listening, who is who is like, yeah, like, I've had those seeds and, you know, cause we can so easily feel like, Oh, I feel so terrible. I should have listened to it. Well, it's a process. Yeah. I love that you're naming that because, um, there's a whole process of germination <laughs> that needs mm-hmm. to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't bear, you don't plant a seed and then it's a tree the next day. No. And, you know, and yeah. sometimes the seed literally needs to germinate a little yeah. bit. And the, 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 the outer environment isn't ready, right? So the seed gets planted and then it sprouts when it has the right environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this reminds me too of the work of SE and working with trauma is that when we're resourced enough, the trauma asks to be healed and um so listening to those you know noticing and obviously in hindsight you think oh yeah there was that time and there was this thing (laughs) and not to beat ourselves up because that's our tendency because we're so sensitive but also to just say well maybe it wasn't ready you know, the yes. seed needed to be planted, but then it needed to be watered a little and it needed to be, you know, before it could actually sprout and it's not ready even to harvest yes. for a while later. Yes, I love that. I mean, there's this tendency that, uh, and I've seen this in, in some, some kind of self-help and spiritual circles where, you know, if you're not taking action, 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 well, then you're in resistance. And I, I totally want to blow the lid off of that because sometimes Amen. I, yes, sometimes I think that that's true. Absolutely. We all get in resistance from time to time, but particularly with our intuitive systems, sometimes we're just coming up, like you said, on an environment that's not quite ready on, you know, the season's not quite right on something that is, the timing is just off. And I think that I've witnessed a lot of us being able to sense this, you know, kind of you could call it divine timing, whatever you want to call it, but, you know, really letting things happen in their time. I remember a practitioner said to me once, because I was starting to do this again, I was starting to push a little, and she's like, you know, Anna, the world wants us to bloom all the time, but nothing in nature does that. Yeah. And I just loved that. So here's a beautiful Marion Woodman. Mm. quote and she says my flower will not bloom if i yell at it bloom (laughs) yes 
It just doesn't work that way. And in fact, especially, you know, if we're highly sensitive, we'll actually shrink away from that yelling and that insistence. Absolutely. And, you know, you were saying earlier, I do believe that there is kind of, you know, whatever you want to call it, a divine timing or Mm -hmm. a place where you can find the flow. And Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of books out there about being in the flow and all of that. And, And there is a sense, there is wisdom to that. At the root of yogic tradition, there is this idea of pulsation, right? Mm. The Sanskrit word is spanda. Mm. And this idea that everything has vibration or pulsation. And if we look at our scientists now, they say, yeah, right? Everything's vibrating and the universe is vibrating. I don't know. They're saying like the sound it makes is B flat or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But if we think about that, that means that there is an innate mm, pulsation, vibration, movement for expansion and con- contraction, mm. for you know, going out into the world and then returning back to self. Mm-hmm. There, there's internal processes and external processes back into this kind of, and we need that. Mm-hmm. So we can't always be blooming and no. we can't, you know, it's like we need winter so that summer happens. Yes. We need downtime so that we can actually go back out. And this is what you've been talking about so much lately is, Mm -hmm. you know, so much of what, um, you know, highly sensitive people have been taught is like, just go in, just kind of retreat. And yes, that's so important. What are your resources? How do you nourish yourself so that you can bring your wisdom and your capacities back out into the world and know how to regulate yourself? Exactly. Which is all about what I like to share with people and what resilient, what I believe resiliency is about. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep like pushing resiliency a little bit ahead because I want to go back and talk a little bit about yoga Um, and some of the stuff you said about yoga. So I haven't taught yoga as near, nearly as long as you have, but almost, well, let's see what, nine years now. So something close. And, and I really recognized myself and my teaching and a lot of what you said in, you know, starting out in this place where I was really, interested in power yoga and I taught a lot of heated power yoga and it was very, it's really fun. You know, it's like a really fun way to move. Um, And then, uh, you know, as I was teaching, I also started studying Ayurveda and kind of like you said, learning about those different vibrations of where we're at. And then when you add something to that vibration, what happens to it. So, so for example, if we're like a real type A personality, we've got a lot of heat in our systems. We're just go, 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 go. And then we take a hot power yoga class, you know, what are you going to get exactly right. This practice that's supposed to, you know, help us get to know ourselves and help us focus. It's not really helping us anymore. And so I just started to notice um, a bit of a breakdown in what the intention of yoga was and what was actually happening out there. And it sounds like that was similar to your experience. Yes, in a way, you know, I never taught or um, really practiced in those hot, intense Mm -hmm. modes, although I have experienced them. 
Mm-hmm. And I really don't want to say or judge any of that because I think there's Absolutely. a place for Absolutely. all of that. There's uh-huh. a whole spectrum of, yes. you know, practices that given the person, given the season, right, yes. um, given the time of life that you could apply and say, this is good medicine. Absolutely. Um, the challenge in our culture is that we hook onto one thing and we think this is the medicine for everybody. Yes. And we tend to like, you know, we tend to get drawn to what increases what is already there. So our culture is very um, goal oriented. Mm-hmm. It's very um, demanding, you know, mm-hmm. more, faster, better, you harder, know, harder, <laughs> uh, more extreme. Mm-hmm. And so that is why in the last 10 years, as you name, those things, those kinds of practices have seen a great uptick mm-hmm. because it, it, it feeds that sense of I'm doing more, I'm burning more calories. I'm, and the same, and another piece to that is that the West has taken yoga asana out of context of the larger understanding of what yoga is designed to do. And so then it becomes a physical, you know, activity or a workout or something Mm -hmm. to get, you know, fit physically and forgets that actually the physical body is the brain is the psyche, Mm -hmm. is all the layers. You can't separate them out. Mm -hmm. And so what starts to happen is you just push and push and push Mm -hmm. until you get a bunch of chronic fatigue or you get a bunch Mm -hmm. of other things happening physically and psychically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from, go ahead. Sorry, I just love that you said that because it's exactly what I was talking about with Suki Baxter last week about the mind and body, they're the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. We separate them out to talk Mm -hmm. about them because it's easier that way. But, you know, and we could do a whole podcast on the history of science and how we've separated the body from the mind and from the emotions. Well, let's do that. Um, (laughs) Okay. I'd love to do that. Um, You know, but as you know, as an intuitive energy healer, Mm -hmm. right? The energy runs the body and the body holds the energy and they're in, you know, and they, and it shows up in your thoughts and it shows up in your breath and it shows up in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. So for me, I wasn't ever in that, that hot, intense yoga world, Mm -hmm. but what I did notice that when I was dealing with some pretty intense challenging um, place in my life, emotionally, psychically, and physically, Yoga asana, even the kind that I te- you know, have taught for years, which is more alignment-based, a little slower, and more kind of heart-centered, was too much. Mm. It was too much. And, uh, what, and, and it, it ties into this idea that I, I want to talk about, which is our culture views the body as an object. Right, it's an object to be shrunk. It's an object to be buffed. It's an object to be fed. It's an object to be clothed and adorned. It's an object to be bartered. It's not seen as a deep experience. This is my life. This is how I'm living. This is how I know. I'm looking. You know, I'm seeing you. I'm hearing you. And I'm, I'm. I'm in. I am nature. I am in nature. And so what began to happen for me was I had to start to access, 
you know, even though I had gotten so deep in, in my studies and I had gone, you know, I'd done lots of meditation and I had done lots of, I realized that I was still doing the same thing mm -hmm. from a different perspective of kind of mm, not tending to the preciousness and the experience that my body is rather than objectifying it. Yeah. And so that's where some of this more somatically fluid based movement comes in, which is just pausing and noticing like what's going on right now. Yeah. How do I feel? Do I want to do that? <laughs> you yeah. know, does that make sense in my body? Yeah. Do I have the energy? And so knowing that, you know, a movement practice can look lots of different ways and the listening to the impulse from my experience rather than imposing an idea from a catalog of asana. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk a bit more then about this continuum movement and how it's different from yoga. You've kind of mentioned that, but then also like what did it help you access that was different from your yoga practice? Yeah. So Continuum Movement was created about 40 years ago by Emily Conrad in California, uh, along with Susan Harper, who is my teacher. And um, Emily actually died several years ago. Um, but this was her legacy and her gift. And the understanding from her, and I'm going to give you a really short mm -hmm. um, understanding, and you can go and, you know, you know, Google it, <laughs> um, is, the, is that we are mostly fluids and that some of the most innate nourishing movements that we can do are fluid movements. Mm. And fluid carries vibration. So if we use sound mm -hmm. as a way to um, nourish tissue. So the practice looks very ooey gooey. It looks very independent. So when I offer this practice um, and when I take this practice and when I do it on my own, it's really about turning in and listening to what's happening in my system. Maybe taking some time to touch and sound into a particular part of my body. We know that every cell has consciousness, mm -hmm. but we're bringing consciousness to that consciousness and saying, oh yeah, this is my leg. These are my toes. How do my leg and toes want to move if they're not busy supporting me and moving me from place to place? Mm -hmm. What would that look like? Mm -hmm. What if I had a tail? Mm -hmm. How would I move if I had a tail? So these considerations and finding the fluid possibilities in our body, which starts to unfreeze some of the habits of sitting and standing and working at a desk and carrying babies that just happen mm -hmm. in our culture because we have very, again, limited ideas of what movement should or could be. Mm -hmm. And for me, how that changed was, and I remember my first, my first workshop, I was hungry and fascinated and interested and scared to death because I thought <laughs> she's not going to tell me what to do. Like, like what, uh, what, what do I, I, I don't know how to listen. I, what if I just lie there? Then I'm doing it wrong. Like there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And what about the alignment? And what about the, where I put my hands and my feet and, you know, all of the yoga yeah. um, pieces and all of the, you know, the um, 
alignment pieces and what's good posture. And it took me a while. And then just not having familiarity of listening to myself. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that I even actually knew that inside. I figured somebody else knew that. And I was really great at telling other people where to go, <laughs> and what to do and where to put their hands. So to start listening to myself, it was revolutionary mm. and on so many levels. That's awesome. And I can just, I can just imagine, you know, I, I like to either by myself or with my one-year-old, you know, dance in the living room and, you know, just dance in really fluid ways. But the, I could, you know, imagine the first time you experiencing that, experience that it's, it's weird. Like, it's just weird because, because again, we're coming up against our conditioning. You know, our conditioning is to move in certain ways. And, you know, just, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, really similar to what Suki Baxter was saying last week. When, when we start to really listen to how our body wants to move um, and we take up space differently in our body, we move through the world differently because our body and our mind are the same, you know, we're affecting that, that mental conditioning and we're shifting the way that even, even creating more space for, for thoughts or for thoughts to be more fluid, I would imagine. Yeah, I, yes. I, yeah. I would say yes to that. Yeah. And again, back to this idea of actually having an experience in and through and as my body, mm-hmm. as opposed to imposing an idea on my body. And I yeah. didn't know, you know, yeah. and, and that everybody can do it differently. And we're all in this amazing field. And, you know, this idea that, when we spend time in front of screens, which is happening more and more and more, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying, you know, I do it and I like it. I love what it offers me. Mm-hmm. You know, I love being on a conference call with you. I love, yeah. you know, being able to access all kinds of information. But the two dimensionality of those screens flattens us. Ooh. And so part of the process is to kind of bring our multidimensionality back. Mm-hmm. To find not just three dimensions, but multiple dimensions of experience and being and our sensory capacity beyond our eyes, mm-hmm. you know, beyond um, the two, the, the, you know, and to really find our plumpness, our expansion, yeah. our fullness, like, you know, you say Suki was talking about taking up space yeah. and feeling what that feels like. And it doesn't mean that you have to be big and brash, but that you actually are here. And I always joke with my students, like there's this red dot on the map. You are here and nobody gets your spot. Right, You have a spot and I have a spot and they have a spot. Everybody has a unique portal through their bodies. Like our bodies is where space and time meet. So how do we really show up in this time? Yeah. In this space through our experience, which can be daunting and can also bring up a lot of challenges. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, And again, running up. Yeah. Like you said, running up against that conditioning. Interesting. So I know that, um, so now you're moving into this somatic experiencing work. And yeah. from, uh, from what I understand about somatic experiencing, um, and I want you to explain this more, but from what I understand, it, it's a way to help trauma release from the body, in the body-mind system. Is that 
kind of correct? <laughs> yes, that's a good place to start. <laughs> Perfect. Um, it's a good place to start. And um, it's not so much that, so SE is the understanding that trauma can get lodged in the body, even yeah. as your life moves on, mm -hmm. and that it can impact how you move forward, mm -hmm. even if you're not aware of it. Yes. And so to use, ah, here we see, even though my, our language, here's our language, to use the body, that's an objective phrase, like I'm yes. noticing that in myself, right? Uh -huh. So to access the wisdom of the body mm -hmm. and use that wisdom to kind of renegotiate the trauma. Um, so it's not so much that you're going to heal it or make it go away, but the residual effects get lessened and, and, and healed so that you can actually be more here and now in your body, in your mind, in your heart. I think that this is such important work for us highly sensitive people um, because of the way that we take trauma on within our psyche and our body. Um, because, you know, because we're so sensitive and because our nervous system's taken in so much information, things that, you know, we may not categorize as trauma again because of our conditioning right it's like no my you know my parents didn't beat me and you know <laughs> whatever like they were happy um or happy-ish you know we we might consider that we had a really nice childhood <clears throat> but in fact maybe we didn't get everything we needed. Maybe we didn't get the emotional attention that we needed. Maybe we um, didn't get emotional attention at a time we really, really, really needed it. That I believe can even create a trauma that lives within the body. Um, and so I, I've noticed sending, um, I send, I've sent several of my clients to SE practitioners um, and had really, really nice uh, luck with that, particularly when I'm working in the energy system and we're creating space in the body, but the body is still just not there. We've got to work from the physical level too. Yeah. Yes. So yes, definitely. And the thing to remember, and this is, you know, trauma is, is becoming more of a mainstream topic and mm. word these days, which I think is wonderful because mm -hmm. it's coming into consciousness. So to understand, but for a long, long time, the idea was that trauma was the, in the event, right? It was in the horrible event of war. Mm. It was in the event of a car accident. It was in the event of, you know, abuse or any of those things. But what we know is that it's in the system, the individual nervous system. And this is so important for highly sensitive people because our nervous systems respond differently. Yeah. And our nervous systems are just that much more fine-tuned to pick up more information. And as a result, situations, interactions, mm, events, are going to impact us a little differently mm -hmm. than our brothers and sisters, right? Mm -hmm. With that aren't as um, as as wired. And mm -hmm. I heard a great definition once, which is basically, you know, and and I think most of the listeners will, you know, who are uh, highly sensitive will resonate with this, mm -hmm. which is too much, too fast, too soon. Mm -hmm. So when we get too much information. When we get, it's too fast, 
-hmm. and it's too soon, like we're not ready for it, that can create a traumatic impact to the system. I love that definition. That makes a lot of sense. And then that stops us, right? For whatever reason, then we get hooked. You know, there's a whole process that can happen in the nervous system. And sometimes you can have a traumatic impact and you can actually come out of it untraumatized, right? Sure. That's a, you know, that you actually process it and you get on the other side and you're like, Phew, that was really challenging, but I'm, I'm doing okay. But then when it gets lodged in there and, you, and, and it's not a conscious process, it's a really deep back brain process, then we, um, we start to not be able to meet life here and now, which is one of Bessel van der Kolk's definition of trauma, which is, you know, the kind of the fundamental inability to be here and now. Oh, that... I'd love that definition. I'm so glad that you brought that up. So, um, so that being the main de definition of what happens when we're living with trauma, how else can this affect us? Well, it's this way of, and I think so many people can resonate with this, of you have a circumstance in your life and you know how you want to respond, but you respond, from, you respond differently. And you think, why did I just say that? Or why did I freak out? Or why did I break out in a cold sweat in this seemingly innocuous situation? And we don't realize that our body is sending us information and telling us mm -hmm. we're actually stuck, right? Where our front brain is here, but our, the rest of us isn't. And so what happens is we start to respond to life from the past. Ooh, yeah. As if we, you know, and so, you know, we always talk about that, like, oh, you know, I'm re, you know, not that you're reliving it, but that it's like, oh, it's a similar situation or, wow, I can't seem to get out of this way of responding to things or, uh, and sometimes it's not even conscious, you know, it's not like we're cognizant of it, but there is a way that we get stuck. And I think a lot of us, you know, we get stuck and then we get, we kind of like freeze. And we're like, yeah. I don't know. And I'm, we're overwhelmed and we're sensitive and there's so much still coming at us and our system can't process it because mm -hmm. it's still unprocessed from last year or last decade or three decades ago. Totally. And then we look up advice for how to be, you know, what to do if you're highly sensitive and we hibernate. Yes. And we turn off the news and we turn away from those terrible things that's happening in the world and we turn away from all of the, the pain that we're feeling and we just go away. And, which and I can help. Which, yes, a absolutely. Bit. You know, I, I don't at all say this to say that self-care is a bad thing. It is not, it is necessary. You know, I, I heard one of my, I think it was Annie Exford saying that, uh, I can't remember. It might've been her saying that, um, like minimum half day a week of unstructured time for highly sensitive people, minimum. A whole day is better, right? And so, so you know, if, if that's not happening and we're still getting too much, too fast, too soon, then, you know, taking a bit of time to hibernate, you know, um, can be necessary. And, and I think that my hope is that it doesn't lead to a continuous pattern of hibernating without gathering something from that space, without being able to find your inner resources and bounce back, which is, I think, what we're talking about with this concept of resiliency. Yeah. 
Totally. And I love that you just kind of circled around to that because Mm -hmm. I don't really like the idea of hibernating, Um, but I do like the idea and I work with this a lot with my clients with resourcing. So turning off the news or not having your phone on after 8 p.m. or taking a bath can all be resources that bring us back to our wholeness. Mm-hmm. So, and, th- and there's many other ways. There's inner resources and there's outer resources. And they're really, really important to balance out the stimuli and the impact of life because life mm-hmm. is just impactful. That's what mm-hmm. it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can bounce back so that we can process what we experience and that we have more um, resiliency and freedom to respond in the moment for the moment as we are not stuck. And so resourcing is, is at the root of being resilient. And, and what it sounds like to me, what you're saying uh, is that, you know, the better we can get at resourcing and finding that place of resilience, we kind of grow a greater capacity. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. In so order to meet there's, life. There's a full spectrum of life, right? Mm-hmm. And if you've lived any amount of time, we know that, you know, you're going to encounter um, some really challenging situations, some really dark moments, some really heart, you're going to have heartbreak. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's part of the deal. Like, you know, and then there's the, then there's the ordinary days where you just kind of go through it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there can be these moments of utter divine joy and uh, clarity. And those moments where you're like, you're at the top of the mountain, literally or figuratively. And you think, ah, Oh, I just am so happy to be alive. And there's everything in between. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that we want to, and as my teacher likes, she calls it the, the, the terrible beauty of life. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It is. It's both. Mm-hmm. And we, and to go back to the yoga, there's an old yogic text that says, you know, uh, as you consistently practice, you will become as sensitive as an eyeball. Yes. And what that means is if you think about your eyeball, you get one little grain of sand in your eye and you're in agony, right? (laughs) You can feel it just one tiny little grain of sand and you know, it's there. So the invitation is we want to be more sensitive. Now for highly sensitive people, you think, no, I don't. Sometimes we think, no, I don't. I'm, I have enough. But to be able to hold and navigate the spectrum of life, to be able to meet the challenges, the difficulties, the heartbreak, and access, and know that you know, we don't want to get stuck in one or the other, that we can go back and forth and have the capacity to be with life, whatever it gives us. And sometimes it's not really fun. And sometimes it's really joyous. And sometimes it's a weird mix of all of it, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you can have something really horrible happening in your life and something really amazing happening. And you're like, whoa, wow, how do I hold this? How do I be with this? How do I pulse? 
right? Yes. Like you were saying at the beginning, yes. right? I'm just looking going, yeah, this is the pulsing. How do we, how do we continue to expand and then contract? And, yeah. and the thing about, just to go back to what I mentioned at the very beginning, the mm-hmm. idea behind Spanda in the yoga tradition, which we don't have a word for, or even maybe a context for in our culture, is that the understanding that the expansion and the contraction happen simultaneously. Oh, that's a mind bender. Yeah. <laughs> Just take, take a moment and breathe with that one, right? Is that there is the, there is, there is the, um, the continuity of back and forth, and then there's a simultaneity. Well, I love that because I think that really covers this paradox where we can be having terrible things happen and still find those resources for that capacity and inner joy, right? We, you yeah. know, we can hold two things, two kind of opposing things to be true at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yoga talks about a lot. It does. And, you know, our culture, it's like all or nothing. It's one or the other. And, you know, and then that comes, that can come into the whole kind of, um, you know, it's all good and it's all, and it's like, well, no, it's not. No, it's not. not. Now, how do you hold that? How Mm -hmm. can you work with that can be good, but that doesn't mean that all the situations are good. You know, right. there are some really crappy situations um, and I'm being, I'm being nice in my language, right? Um, you don't have to be. We're <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, res- yeah, the capacity, I love that word, the capacity to access the full spectrum of our nervous system, right? Both the sympathetic and the, the parasympathetic to meet something that's really challenging, but also to relax mm-hmm. and to be in the moment. And I think, I just, I just think this is so, so important because like you said, as we become more conscious, as we become more aware, we actually become more sensitive. And, and I, you know, when I, when I'm teaching classes, I teach, you know, classes on basic, um, uh, subtle body tools, uh, for managing, or, or I like you, what you said, managing is the wrong world, wrong word, but for working with the highly sensitive body. And then I also teach intuitive development. And part of what happens is that, you know, when we really embrace our sensitivity and we say, yeah, I've got it and I'm working from it, it increases, right? It increases. And so at the same rate, I think, or a similar rate that we're increasing our sensitivity, we can also be resourcing. You have to. We have to be, right? So that we're not just swinging wildly from one end of the spectrum to another, but where I kind of think of it like a a balloon, like the whole thing is kind of blowing out, you know, we're we're just expanding that, uh, our whole whole center, uh, growing that capacity. Totally. I mean, at the root of being able to hold that capacity and that sensitivity is to be resourced. Yeah. And, and I don't, I, I want to be clear with people that being resourced doesn't mean that um, you don't get overwhelmed sometimes, right? Or that you don't say like, wow, I'm having a really crap day or <laughs> this is, you know, this is really terrible. Being resourced means, I mean, what I think it means is that you can be there, like you said, be there with that. Wow, this is really terrible. I'm really in overwhelm today and then you can work with it. I think the operative word, and this is what I like, this is what I really think that the, the goal of yoga is uh-huh. at its very root, and the goal of SE and the goal of uh, conscious life mm-hmm. is to have choice, 
Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I, yesterday I had an overwhelming day, you know, and I got home, you know, it was like, it was just, it was one thing after another and I managed it Mm -hmm. and I got home and I was like, I am really overwhelmed. So a one way is just to notice, like instead of being in the overwhelm, to notice the overwhelm is, is, is a capacity to build. Mm -hmm. And then to say, how am I going to work with this? What are my choices? Where are my resources? How am I going to manage this so that it doesn't take over my life and I get stuck here and, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed and life is so hard. And, oh my God, you know? So what yeah. do I do? And there are inner resources, there are outer resources. And part of what I do in working with clients is to help them identify what's your resource? You know, what, what, what are the things that you can go to when you feel overwhelmed, when you're triggered, when you're um, scared, that might have the way of just pulling you back from the, the end zone a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, but you know that in general they work and you can kind of go down the list until you find something or sometimes you have your go-to, your top three go-tos. Mm-hmm. Um, And part of what I do is to help people um, cultivate inner resources Mm -hmm. that you can literally close your eyes and access a place where your nervous system can downregulate away from, you know, the, the, the intensity, even if it's just for a few minutes. And then it's like, then you can come back at it and say, oh, well, now what do I want to do with this overwhelm? Or now what do I want to do with this horrible interaction that just happened? Or now what do I want to do with the information or my experience? That sounds incredible. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just feel like, man, if all of us, all the listeners had this, if we all, all of us highly sensitive people were able to do this, the world would be changing at such a fast <laughs> rate, you know, because we would just always be able to be in it, you know, and you know, something that I think is really important in, in, groups, in groups like this when we're trying to be really present and trying to be conscious in the world and trying to, I mean, really be culture makers is that when we're all working for this, you know, towards this thing um, as highly sensitive people and then Rainy, you have an overwhelming day or I have an overwhelming day. I know it's okay because, you know, my, my other sensitive friend, she's, gonna, she's got the resources right now to keep on moving. And then when, when she's down, I'm going to come back up. Right. So, so we're in this kind of movement or whatever together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what you talk about so eloquently, you know, in terms of how the, you know, the highly sensitive people are the, you know, the radars of the, the, the community. And we, you know, we don't want to be always on, we get to trade off that duty. Yeah. Um, And also just, you know, what happens is, is, you know, this is all part of a process of deepening as human beings and growing as, you know, spiritual beings. Mm -hmm. And what happens when we're more resourced is that more things step forward to get healed. Absolutely. Because there is an inner understanding um, of being able to... um, you just, you have more to be able to do that. And it also gives you more agency in your life, mm-hmm. you know, so that you're not at the whims of the, 
everything, your nervous yeah. system and everybody else. It's kind of like, okay, I actually have some things that I can rest into that I can go to. Your yoga practice could be a resource. Totally. Your, you know, um, there's so many different ways to um, find things that I think one of my teachers um, described um, resource as some, anything that really brings you back to your sense of wholeness, your sense of um, feeling good and at ease. Yeah. Now that doesn't have to be like perfectly relaxed, but just, <laughs> you know, a little opening to. <sighs> yeah. So Rainy, I'd love to um, be able to give our listeners a little taste of this practice um, that you do with people. Would you be able to take us through, you know, maybe five minutes of something that, that you would do? to help yeah. us find resources. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and if you're driving, you know, don't do this. Save it. Actually, actually, I will say that part of this you will be able to do oh, if you're okay. driving. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So because, or, or at least if you're sitting at a red light. Okay. But I find that I can do some of this. There's this practice you get a little more um, familiar with and you can do it in all kinds of situations. Awesome. Yeah, so... Um, there may be one piece of this where if I ask you to close your eyes, obviously don't do that if you're driving, but also you can sometimes access the same piece if your eyes are open. So, um, so this is a practice of basically coming back to the here and now and orienting yourself into the here and now. So wherever you happen to be, whether you're sitting or standing or lying down, listening, driving, Allow your eyes just to start to scan the space that you're in. And in fact, let your head, neck, and eyes roam around. And notice what you notice. Notice the colors. Notice the shapes and the light. And you're not looking for anything in particular, right? So you're looking at the space that you're in. And notice one or two things that your eyes are really drawn to right now. I'm just noticing that or those things that your eyes are just kind of like, ooh. And then if you are at a place where you can close your eyes, you might choose to close your eyes and drop your awareness down from your brain like an elevator dropping down into your body. And notice the sensation, any sensation that's current in your body. And know that for some of us, this can sometimes be challenging because we haven't necessarily been taught the language of sensation. So if that's true for you, just notice that it's challenging and let that be okay. 
So you might notice the contact of your body with the floor or the chair. You might notice something else in your belly or your chest. I'm just kind of giving you little prompts, but you may have something else. And then open your eyes again, very gently, and allow your head, neck, and eyes to roam again. If you're close to a window, if you have a window or a, an opening outside, perhaps letting your eyes go out of the space to notice what's present. Again, just noticing what your eyes are drawn to right now, what you're noticing. And then when you're ready, as you're ready, bringing your attention back and just seeing how it feels. What do you notice in your body? What do you notice as you're listening to my voice? What do you notice as Anna comes back into the conversation? Thank you, Rainey. So I'm curious, Anna, what did you notice? What was your experience in, yeah. in doing that? Well, I, I have a big painted mandala up in, in the wall uh, above my computer, and there's a couple of places that in the beginning, my eyes were getting fixated on it where um, the paint didn't fully cover. So there's like, there's these little holes, you know, and I was kind of getting fixated on these holes. It was interesting. But then afterwards, after I'd gone inside my body and looked outside, I was... Um, in my body, I was drawn to the fact that my hands are cold, um, but also mm -hmm. the softness in my belly. And when I looked outside then, I was able, I have a bunch of trees outside my home, and um, I was really drawn to just the, even though the trees don't have leaves this time of the year, um, and there's a starkness to them, there was still this kind of this softness in the way that they, um, oh, still act a bit like an umbrella from the sky. So mm. that's what I was drawn to, which was really interesting. And there was a, a greater sense of like, ah, oh, in my body. And I'm curious if that's partly because I'm looking at a screen and I found that plumpness again, but that was just really lovely. Well, this is, I mean, this is obviously really short, really mm -hmm. sweet pl mm -hmm. practice of orienting, but it's about coming back to the immediate context because our brains and our nervous systems can get wrapped up in, you know, how many times a day do you think about what you should have said or could have said or writing that email for the fifth time to the person who you really want to tell, you know, like you're in the past, <laughs> you're in the future, you're, you know, you're, you're processing. And what this does is it very simply brings you back to the here and now and allows you a little access to exactly what you said. <sighs> and you may go straight back, but you may go back from a different place. Yeah. You have a resource from them and it gives you a little bit of a break and it allow, it reminds your system that you can actually have access to the other end of things mm -hmm. when you're ramped up. And so orienting outside, noticing sensations in your body, coming back to your current experience. 
And I, you know, I invited you to look outside mostly because most of us, many of us, I will say, uh, one of our biggest resources is nature. Yes. So going outside or looking outside, resonating and finding the larger context outside the buildings, outside the concrete of our larger community of beings is really important. Yes, it is. So Rainy, you have a personal practice in Seattle, right? And you offer one-on-one resiliency sessions. Yes? I do. Yes. Now you offer these one-on-one in person, but also online. Yeah. Yeah. And awesome. it's amazing. I remember when I first started doing that, actually as, as a client with one of my teachers, I thought this will never work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, how can this work? You know, I really need to be with somebody to feel them and, you know, and it really does. It works. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, just doing this little um, exercise with you there was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we do it through um, a conference platform um, where we can see each other and um, it works works beautifully in terms of allowing me to track, you know, your nervous system Mm -hmm. and for you to be able to see and resonate with me Mm -hmm. and for us to do the work uh, the same way that we would uh, in a one-on-one session. And we can even bring in the yoga piece as well, because sometimes there's the SE piece, there's the yoga piece, there's Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And all of that is doable, um, both in person and um, online. Well, and I will say I've had a session with Rainy, and I I think the main thing that I was focused on was this back pain that I had. But after being in session, the next few days were incredible in the way that there was so much more space within my body. Not only did my back pain Mm. reside, but, you know, I had been in kind of this stressed out and incongruent um, place in my life and things, they just shifted immediately. So I really recommend you go and (laughs) grab a session from Rainy because they're fabulous. Um, And I'll put a link to Rainy's website and these types of sessions um, within the show notes. Um, Keep in mind, though, she's uh, letting me know that her website is in flux. She's in a a bit of a redesign. So the content might not reflect exactly everything we talked about here today. Yeah. Um, And then you also have some seasonal revive and refresh day retreats um, coming up. Um, and you guys, Rainy is fabulous. If you're in this area, you should um, see if you can sign up for one of those. So I'll also put a link um, to that in the show notes. And I'm gonna I'm gonna flub up your your uh, your URL, Rainy. Can you tell people what your website is? Yeah, it's elizabethrainy.com. Awesome. Well, that's easy. Yeah. Ah, fantastic. So I always like to finish with this. Rainy, what is the one thing you would want our listeners to know? Hmm. That there is an innate wisdom inside and that you have access to that and that if you trust and are willing to um, do some a little bit of work to mm-hmm. access it, it can really change your life and deepen your enjoyment of life. Mm-hmm. And one more piece, and this comes from a lot of different mm, teachings, but that slow is deep. 
That's wonderful. Well, Rainy, thank you so much for being here. Take care now. Thank you so much, Anna, for having me. It was a delight. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. For information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.